You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled, How to Be Rich. Most Americans are rich by both worldly and historical standards. This series explores what would happen if everyone lived based on the vision the Bible gives to those who are rich. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Good morning. My name is Brian Maurer. I'm the lead pastor here. And we are going to continue uh, our two-part series on how to be rich. Now, just to be clear, this is not how to get rich. Uh, it's not that message, and we're not that kind of church. The reality is we're already rich. And like if I, so let me ask you, if, if, do you, does anybody here have any money uh, in their wallet or their purse or their pocket? Just raise your hand. No one's going to steal it. Raise your hand. Hi. Keep, keep your hand on the other, on your money. Just raise your hand. Okay. Okay. Leave your hand up if you know exactly how much money you have on yourself. You know exactly how much money you have. Okay. Be able to do that. How many of you here have, uh, you can put your hands down. How many of you here have money in the uh, cup holder? Or if you have a really old car, ashtray uh, in your car. Uh, how many of you have money in, in your car? Raise your hand. How many know exactly how much money is in that? Okay. How many here have money in a drawer somewhere at home? Uh, and, or like a couch or just somewhere. But Okay, how many here know exactly how much is in, you don't? Uh, here, here's the thing. Um, no, you don't. Uh, so, uh, here's the point. We, have, we don't even know how much money we have. We just, it's just lying around places. It's in, and we have so much, we have so much extra uh, money in, in our country. Um, we have a lot. That's why we have basements. And that's why we have attics. It's because we, we have extra uh, stuff. If you've ever had a garage sale, um, uh, you, you're selling your, your extra stuff. Um, Americans, we, we um, buy our sinks. We have this little switch that you flip. And it makes noise and it eats our extra food. Uh, The U.S. Department of Health says Americans throw away 25% of the food that we purchase. That is enough to supply 210 million people with a 2,000 calorie a day diet. Now, here's the deal. So here's what. We're rich. Um, We we don't feel rich, though. And here's why we don't feel rich is because uh, there's always someone down the street who has a nicer car, nicer house, nicer TV, uh, nicer watch, nicer whatever. And so we just just don't feel rich. Um, um, When I was, a couple years ago, we went down to St. George Island in Florida. And on this island, there was all these amazing, huge houses. And you could rent them. And, and, you know, there's amazing lawns and, and just, you know, being on the beach and having a house by the beach. And what I didn't feel as I was driving through this neighborhood was, man, I feel rich. I was like, I feel like I don't have anything. And, and, and that's really kind of how we are in America. We don't feel rich, but the reality is we are rich. Uh, but by both world and historic standards, it's nutty. So if you make an average income, average income being about 50 grand, you are well within the top 1% of wage earners in the world. If you are... Um, if you are even uh, making the, what, what Americans or the federal government would say is at the poverty line, if you are a, just one single person making $11,500, that, that's the poverty line in America. But yet, you still make more money than six of the seven billion people on our green and blue planet. And um, so the reality is we are rich. 
Uh, the question isn't or not, isn't, are you rich? The question is, how well or how uh, good are you at being rich? And so that's what this series is about. It's about, um, we are rich and, and we want to do it well. And so the Apostle Paul, who is in prison, uh, he was talking to this young pastor named Timothy. We, we, we took a look at this last week in the first letter of Timothy. And he's saying, hey, you got a job to do. And that's you got to charge um, people who are rich, those who are rich in this present age, to be rich well. And so I want to encourage us to be rich well, because there's going to be a day, there's going to be a day where all of us are going to stand uh, before God. He's going to ask the question, how did you do with what I uh, gave you? And so I, I want to help us be rich well. And, and, and one of the things to be rich well, as we talked about last week, is we have to see your money vertically. We have to see it vertically. It means it's not ours. It's that he's the owner and, and we're the steward. And so if we're the stewards and not the owners, we need to be knowing what where our money be going. We need to know, we need to understand what's happening because we're going to be called into account and that's going to affect uh, how we use not our money but, but his money. So we've got to see it vertically. We also have to spend it carefully, which means we do get to spend it, all right? We know it's not wrong to enjoy it. God does not want you to feel guilty for being rich, um, but he does want you to be grateful. So you don't have to feel guilty, but we are to be grateful, and it means that we spend it carefully, and that, w- that means that we, uh, we, learn that the, we learn to be content. And he says, contentment, there's great gain, great gain in uh, godliness with contentment. That if we have food to eat, if we have sheltered in this will be content. So you spend it carefully. So yeah, enjoy what you have. You know, uh, you know, it's okay to, to, to enjoy your leather seats and to enjoy your chocolate cake and to enjoy uh, around whatever it is that you would do. It's okay. God wants you to enjoy that, but he does not want you to forget where that enjoyment comes from, which is him. And we roll it up into worship of him. And uh, so we need to spend it carefully, not allowing our hearts to be consumed by the desire to be rich. So it's not it's not wrong to be rich. Uh, the scriptures are going to say it is wrong to desire to be rich, which means that you have files in your head. Like if I only had more money, I would spend this. And you have it written down or it's on your Pinterest page. You just, you just know where, where, what you would do if you just had more money. And, and, and the Bible's going to say, you need to war- he's warning us on that because that's going to lead into all kinds of pain. So you, we need to see it vertically, spend it carefully. And today we're going to look at um, that we need to give it uh, generously. We need to give our money uh, generously. So let me show you this last part of First Timothy. So we read um, up to 17. He says, command them. This is what we're talking. He's commanding the rich of this present age. They are to do good and to be rich. How? To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. And he's going to tell you why. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Now I need to kind of take a, a pause here for a second because um, it's, it's very important that when you hear what Jesus has to say and what the Bible has to say about uh, money, he's, they're not, the Bible or God, us, we don't, we're not wanting money from you. God doesn't want money from you, but he's wanting to show you what is truly life. And that's why we're in this parable today, uh, this story today in Luke 12. Uh, so if you kind of turn there, uh, Luke 12. Uh, hopefully just leave the, the, the Bible there in your lap and we'll kind of go through some of these verses again together. Uh, just to say... Um, 
it's important when you read the scriptures that you, you understand the, the context in which they are being read. And uh, every, especially in the Gospels like this, they, they, they play out almost like a, a, you know, a movie script. And you, in a movie script, they always show you like the setting. In the very beginning of Luke 12, it sees a setting. In verse 1, it says, In the meantime, with so many thousands of people have gathered together. Thousands. So Jesus has this crowd of people gathering But he began to say to his disciples. So here's the deal. He's speaking something to his disciples. And the crowds, thousands of people are overhearing what he's saying to his disciples. And I think that's really important for you to understand when it comes to money. Because every week uh, I have the privilege of of speaking to you all. And you all are in very different uh, places in your spiritual journey, journey. Some of you are community group leaders and even elders in the church, and you and uh, you, you're hearing this. We, you know, you're, you may be uh, been here for a while, but you're still trying to figure out, you know, who Jesus is, or at least what Jubilee is all about. And some of you are brand new, and you haven't been to the church in a really long time, or you've never been to church, and you're you're trying to figure it out. And so you hear uh, talk of money. Oh, I knew it. You just want your money, and uh, I just want to say, like Jesus is talking to his disciples. But he wants the crowds to overhear. Let me just say that this teaching is, is directed at those who follow Jesus. And if you're here you don't follow Jesus, I'm so glad that you're here. But you're overhearing a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And it's very important to understand that God is, is after your heart. Uh, I mean, don't believe the narrative that this is why Jesus came to it. See, here's the narrative that some people believe. Jesus, in heaven, he ran out of money. And so he came to earth to get all y'all's money. And so that's the narrative. And it's just, it's, and it's that funny. And so uh, Luke 12, verses 15. Let me just, let's just kind of walk through this together. Uh, this will help us how to be rich because we want to be rich well. We're already rich and we want to be good at it, okay? So how do we do that? This is what Jesus says. Take care, take care, be on your guard, be on your guard against all covetedness. And so this is what he's saying, or greed, that word covet, it means greed. Be on the lookout for greed. Now this is interesting. He's, he's saying, watch out. Like, be careful. Like, watch your back. Don't, greed is going to creep up on you. Uh, and here's the thing. It, it's, greed is different than all ever different kinds of sins. Like, you kind of know if you're stealing something. You, you know if you're committing adultery. You know that these things, it's not like, whoa, you know, how'd you get here? It's just like, you know when these things are happening. But what, you, what he's saying is you don't know that greed is happening to you. You've got to watch out. You've got to be careful. You've got you to be careful with what, every time a dollar comes in your possession. You have to be careful what that will do. You need to take care. You need to watch your back. And here's the deal. Uh, I've been uh, the pastor of the church for 10 years. And I've never had anyone. I've, had, I've never had anyone come to me and confess the sin of greed. Never. I've had people confess all different other kinds of sins, lust, pride, anger, um, uh, stealing. I mean, just any, all kinds of sins. No one's ever come to me and say, Brian, you know what? My problem is I'm greedy. No one thinks of themselves as greedy. Could it be true that nobody in this church is greedy? Could it be that nobody, nobody knows that they're greedy. And the funny thing is, is for those who've been here for a while, I've, I've said this before. And still, 
nobody comes up to me, even in a joke, saying, ha, 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 Brian, I'm greedy. <laughs> like, that hasn't even happened. Now, today it will, but you know what? Actually, it, I'd said this in the first service, and no one came up to me. So maybe you won't either. I don't know. So, um, so you got to be careful. Watch out. Do I really need this? Could I live more simply? For life does not consist of one's uh, excuse me, life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Life is not equivalent to the acquiring and the consuming of possessions and how, uh, you know, upgrading, saving, investing. Now, this seems like one of these obvious statements. Like, of course, Brian, I, I, you know, I know we're not to get caught up into material, you know, goods. Even the world would even say, like, you know, like money and possessions are not ultimate. That's not all there is to life. Life does not equal that. Life does not equal um, your uh, standard of living, living, but the reality is we, we don't actually uh, believe that. Uh, every advertisement, I love marketing people, every advertisement though out there says your quality of life would be better if your standard of living was higher. You get that message all the time. If you had this TV, if you had this car, if you had this house, if you had this, we, we think that. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything you've just ever had to have? Was there ever a, a, a pair of jeans, a car, a purse, uh, a latte, a you name it? Is there anything you just had to have? What are some other signs? We talked about this. Uh, you spend everything that you make. You spend or you save everything that you make. As your spending goes up, so does your spending and your saving. Well, you think... That life is the acquisition of possessions. You're, if you're in debt, absolutely. So much so, if you're in consumer debt, that is, if you've got credit card debt, because God has given you a lot in life, and you think, my life would be better if I had this stuff. I, I can't afford it, but I can, I, with a signature, I can have it. Because I need, I need to have this. You're inconsistent in generosity. Here's another one. Money is a private matter to you. Money is a private matter. Um, it was said of the early church that they shared their table with all, but not their bed. Um, money was just money. Somebody asked them for money. Yeah, sure, you can have it. Uh, sex was sacred because it was connected to the soul. In contrast, the early Greco-Roman world, which is a lot like ours, it was said that they shared their bed with all, but not their table. Sex was just sex. Somebody asked for it, they can have it. Why not? It's just sex. But money is sacred. Now, Howard Stern, if you know who Howard Stern is, he, he, he has no problem talking about sexuality. There's no place that he will not go and about other sexuality or his own sexuality. And, uh, but those of us who are old enough to remember this, back in the early 90s, he r- made a run for the governor of New York. And he was doing quite well in that run for governor, but he, he pulled himself out of the race when he was asked for financial disclosure. He wouldn't do it. It's funny. He talks about everything else, but he will not talk about his money. Is money a private matter to you? Even now, you can see, like, like as, soon as, this, as soon as I started talking about money, I mean, your hand just like naturally went to your wallet and you, you like grabbed a hold of your, you're just like, there's some, you, but keep your hands away from my money. <laughs> it's just offensive to you. It's uncomfortable. We don't talk about it. It's private. 
It's sacred to you. You've caught up in the lie that life equals the acquisition of possessions. Watch out, Jesus says, for all kinds of greed. There's there's different kinds. Luke 16, then he said a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. So here's a guy who's already rich. In America, if you are an American, you live in America, even if you don't have a job, you are probably wealthier than most people in the world just because of the access that you have to what we have access to. You are, we are already rich. So here's a rich man who got even richer. We are rich people who get richer. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all my crops. My barns are full. My basement's full. My attic's full. I've got all this stuff. And he said, I will do this. Here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. I'll upgrade. 30-inch TV, 40-inch TV, 50-inch TV. Corolla, Camry, Escalade. Receive a bonus at work. Sales are up. I know what I'll do. I'll buy a new car, a second home, a new IRA. I'll do, I'll, that's what I'll do. And I'll say to myself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry, which is a great plan. You're set for life. You have enough to consume now. You have enough to consume later. And you probably have enough for your kids to consume once you are consumed. And um, the God said, check this out, fool. What? This guy's not a fool. I mean, at this point, his listeners in this context would have been very, very confused. Because although this is a bit of an exaggeration, this guy would have been the ideal. This guy's like, man, this guy's, this guy's no fool. He's amazing. He's a hero. I mean, who does not want to have nice stuff and then nicer stuff and then nicer stuff? But not only that, this guy's brilliant because he saves enough, not just for now, but for later. He has a, he can, he's set. He can say here, eat, drink, and be merry. He can go to Florida. He can play golf. He can do whatever he wants whenever he wants and his kids can do whatever he wants whenever he wants but the God of the universe says you fool these guys would have been very confused because this guy was like man this guy's awesome because not only that this was an agriculture society which means uh, the, the economy was based upon agriculture which means that in order to be wealthy you needed uh, good soil good seed you need sunshine and plenty of rain all of which in this context in this Jewish context they would have all seen these things coming from God so someone who had lots of stuff it was a sure sign of God's blessing in their life so not only is Jesus saying it not to acquire stuff but he's saying everyone would have thought that this guy was blessed by God and Jesus just takes an axe and just goes I mean, there's some people who today and, and you, who will teach that the abundance is a sign of God's blessing and um, that you should seek to acquire it, buy it, flaunt it, whatever. Um, and if you lack it, you just need more faith. But that's not in the Bible. It's not even hinted at in the Bible. Now, prosperity is, and I have time to get into that, but... Uh, God, God does want to bless us and having things is a blessing. But it is not a sign of ultimate blessing. Uh, some of the wealthiest people in the world are, do not love God. Some of the poor, I've got brothers and sisters, you have brothers and sisters in Zimbabwe, the second poorest country in the world. And uh, they have Nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing. And their faith is 
robust and their joy is huge. Well outpaces ours. And I, I don't think I could say they're not blessed. So here's a guy who's done well for himself. He has enough now and enough for later. And he takes comfort and security that. And God says, you fool. Now here's a principle in money, about money that I never, ever, 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 never, ever want you to forget. And uh, by that I mean write it down. And so uh, here it is. Money makes you a fool in somebody's eyes. Go ahead. Write it down. Wasn't joking. Right. Money makes you a fool. Or put it in your phone. I don't care. Money, record it. Just put out the recorder on your phone. Money will make you a fool in somebody's eyes. Just deal with that. Money will make you a fool in someone's eyes. Maybe all of you get bonuses at work. And Ted buys a boat and Larry takes a Hawaiian vacation, but you give it away. And maybe Ted and Larry are like, you fool. Maybe you have a great job opportunity and you turn it down because you just don't have peace that it's the right thing for you. And your family says, you fool. You have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. How is money going to make me a fool? Or let me say it this way. In whose eyes is money going to make me a fool? Culture or God? Family or God? Friends or God? Co-workers are God. But it will make you a fool in someone's eyes. And the scary thing here, God says to this guy, which I just think is, I don't think there's a scarier thing in all the world for God to look you in the eyes and say, you fool. Why is he a fool? For this night, your soul is required of you. Uh, your money's not gone, but your time is. All the things, then he says, all the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Everything that you have in this life, this watch, this shirt, whatever you have, your purse, your car, just soak it in right now. I mean, breathe it in because it's all you get because it's gone and it's gone 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 40 years from now. It has a shelf life. It has a shelf life. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What's foolish about this guy, this is the point. What Jesus is saying, what's foolish about this guy is he is living his life as though this world and what's in this world is all there is. That this world in this life is all there is. And because he's, because he's living, because he's spending, because he's acquiring as though this life is all there is, he's a fool. Imagine a guy winning the lottery, $10 million, and he goes out and he spends all of his money on cowboy boots. By your laughs, you would say, that guy is a fool. He is living, he is spending as though all there is is cowboy boots. He should be saving, he should buy a house, he should, he should buy a new car, he should do something, he should buy sneakers at least. I mean he should do <laughs> tennis shoes, I don't know where sneakers came from. And so, it's Mother's Day, there you go moms. Um, he's living, we would call him a fool because he's living as though Cowboy boots are all there is. And that's exactly what God's saying in this scenario. This guy is living as though all there is is right in front of him. He's a fool because he is living for today 
And he's living for this life and he's not living for eternity. From heaven's perspective, when you are rich toward you and not rich toward God, you are like a guy who wins a lottery and spends all of his money on cowboy boots. God gave you everything that you have. And money is not good or bad, but it is a test. It's a, it's, it's a test for your heart. And it's a test for faith. And if you're only rich towards you, you're living as though life does equal the acquisition of possessions. Now you can say, I just, I love my family. I just want my family to have the best. I just, that you're living as though life equals the abundance of possessions. So how do we be, be rich toward God? Well, he's going to tell us exactly, but he's got he's to address some concerns that we all have. Because as soon as he says like, hey, look, this guy's a fool. They're like, okay, then what then? Because this is the track we were on. This is the plan that we were on. We thought this was awesome. We thought this is how you get blessed in life. He says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will wear, what you'll put on your body. Don't be anxious. He knows that we're anxious. And then verse 23 is a copy of verse 15. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Again, life does not equal the acquisition of possessions. God knows our frame. He knows how we're made. He knows that we are very fragile jars of clay. He knows that it's tough to pay the bills. He knows that we get anxiety about paying the bills. That's why he says, don't be anxious. You ever wonder why the Bible is always saying, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not? Because there's a good reason to fear. And he feels it. He knows, he knows that we're just sheep. He knows that we're just a little flock. He knows that we're weak. And he treats us so Wonderfully. And so he begins to address this specific anxiety. The, the next verse, it says, Consider the ravens. They neither uh, sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more valuable than you are than the birds. And which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? How do you break away from freaking out about your money? Or freaking out about paying the bills? Or freaking about how you're going to pay the mortgage? How do you do that? Here's how you do that. You consider the ravens. What's a raven? It is a rat with wings. That's what a raven is. It is nobody like goes, when you go bird watching, hey, let's go check out the ravens. It's no, it's just, it is a, the lowest form of, of bird. It's, it's just the low one. It's insignificant. And yet, and yet, see how God provides for them. I mean, he didn't even pick out like an eagle or like, you know, something, a cardinal. He just picked out, he picked out a, he picked out a rat with wings. As he, look how he takes care of them. How much more is he going to take care of you? You see, money, money and God promise identical things. One's telling the truth, one's lying. God says, I will be your security. Money says, I will be your security. Money is how I eat. And God says, no, 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 no. I will take care of you. In verse 9, or excuse me, verse 29, says, and do not, um, sorry, excuse me. Go up. Uh, he, he's, he talks about the ravens. And he says, then 
because uh, they're like still not convinced. He says, well, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, and that's what it is, lilies just everywhere. They're common. They're, they're almost insignificant. And yet God arrays them with such beauty. Uh, so if God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow it's thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you. So again, money per- offers us security, and God says, I am your security. Money also provides us, it's its way for identity and beauty and status and importance. And he says, look at the beauty and the importance that are giving, e- given even to the lilies by God. How much more will he clothe you with an identity that is so rock solid? And then verse 29, and do not seek where you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried he just keeps bringing it up. Because you guys are freaking out. And you're freaking out. For the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Uh, the nations of the world basically. He's, again he's talking to his crew. He's talking to his disciples. And people. All the nations and the thousands of people gathered there. Are, are listening in. They're eavesdropping into this conversation he's having with his disciples. So all the nations are all those who are not a part of his disciples. And so this is what he's saying. He says. People who do not know that they have a father in heaven who loves them, they freak out about money. You have a father in heaven that you know who loves you. And if you know that you have a father in heaven who loves you, he's going to provide you security. He's going to provide you with beauty and an identity that's beyond what Solomon ever experienced on his his own. So he's calling us out of our pursuit. He's calling us out of pursuit to first seek what we will eat, what we will drink much less what we will drive and where we go vacation or what kind of watch we have or what kind of tv we have he's calling us out of that pursuit and chasing what we will eat what we will live and he's calling us into something else and this is where it says he says instead seek first his kingdom and all of these things will be added unto you and then again it says fear not little flock again he just he knows we're a little flock Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I love this because I think we have this idea that God is just in heaven perpetually frustrated with us. Like it's Thursday and you still haven't read your Bible. It's just like he's just angry at us. He just, we can't get it right and he's mad at us. He's just overbearing, you know, get it, do this, do that. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, if your heart didn't leap at that, I'll just go ahead and say, man, there's something about this world. There's something in the acquiring of possessions that has your heart more than the kingdom. Because he's wanting to give you what is ultimate. He's wanting to give you what his, the, the precious blood of Jesus was spilt for. He wants to give it to you. And if you have that, what else do you need? If the king of the universe says you're approved and beautiful, I mean, who cares what anyone else thinks? It is your father's good pleasure to give you. To give you. So how do we reach toward God? It says right here, sell your possessions. All of them? Do I really sell all my possessions? Well, No. What we learned last week, it's okay to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy what we have, what you have. 
It's okay to enjoy it. We don't necessarily take a vow of poverty, although some may be called to that. But there's another important principle that I want to throw out. It's a principle of progress. Um, The world says if we fill up our barns, that's how you progress. But the Bible says the key to progress is not the filling up of your barns, it's the emptying of them. It's the emptying of them. The world says to find yourself, Jesus says to lose yourself. Jesus says the way through to honor is through humility. The way to power is through service. The way to be first is to be last. last. The way to life is through death. The way to true riches is through the emptying of your barns. Let me show you something. In the Bible, um, how many people think that to believe is important? Pretty important. Yeah, it's, it's important action. That, that in the Bible is, show me here, survey says, 272 times. How many think uh, to pray is important? How many, that action is important. Got to pray. How many times? 371 times in the Bible. How many here think love? Love. Love is love. 714 times. Give. Drum roll. 2,000. More than the Bible says to believe, more than the Bible says to pray, more than the Bible says to love, the Bible talks about give. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What's the key to progress for you? What what train are you on? Storing up barns or emptying them? So sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags. Who here wants money bags? That do not grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. No thief will approach or moth will destroy. Somehow in God's economy, we are rich not just toward ourselves but to God and others. Plowing money into his kingdom. um, Funding what he thinks is important. Namely his local church and the poor people. We lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. So he's not even saying that to, to have treasures, reward, is a bad thing to go after. In fact, he's actually motivating us to go after treasure. He's just simply saying that you are a fool if you think all the treasure there is is right here in front of you. There is a treasure to be laid up in heaven. Uh, People say you can't take it with you, and you can't if you hold on to it, but you can if you give it away. Somehow you give it to God. You build people. You you invest in what is forever. That is his word and people. They're forever. People are forever. You lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven that will go on and on. They will compound for eternity, 100% guaranteed on the good faith of the God of the universe. That's where we need to invest. That is how we be truly rich, is we invest in heaven. And then it says this, which is kind of the cornerstone, the linchpin of everything the Bible teaches on money. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Again, 
God is not trying to get money from you, but he's trying to keep money from getting you. He's after your heart. He's after your heart. He wants you to watch out for greed. He wants you to not live your life based upon the fact that if I upgrade my lifestyle, I upgrade my quality of life. If I upgrade my standard of living, I upgrade my quality of life. And he's saying, no, no, if you upgrade your treasures in heaven, you upgrade your quality of life. So how do we get this right? Well, it's by remembering that we will be a fool in someone's eyes. I think we just got to get that on the table and just embrace it. The sooner you embrace, I'm going to be a fool in someone's eyes, then you can, excuse me, choose who that's going to be. In 1 Corinthians 1, it says, the word of the cross is foolishness to the world, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. On the cross, Jesus won by losing. He was filled up by emptying. He is proof that that is the way to live. That he came from heaven and he emptied himself. He emptied himself of everything, even his own life. He emptied himself. That is how we be truly rich. He didn't have any, I mean, when he died, he, he was buried in a borrowed tomb and his only possession was his cloak that was kind of raffled off by the Roman soldiers. He's the one that we call master. He's the one that we call Lord. He's the one that we see as life and he's wanting us to lead us into truly life. It says that, that famous, famous Christian love this verse John 14, 6. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Is he the life to you? Is he the life to you? Is he the ultimate life? Then let go of your possessions. Let them go. And lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Be truly rich. Not just worldly rich. Be heavenly rich. All religions say we do good deeds. You do good deeds and store them up. And then on that day you go before God and you say, God, look, I'm full of good deeds. And he'll say to you, depart from me, you cursed. I never knew you. That all other religions say that. Christianity says that you come before God, not saying I'm full, but you come before God and you come empty. He opposes the proud. He opposes the one that says, see, look what I can do. And he gives grace to the one who, who is willing to empty himself before him remembering that you're going to be a fool in someone's eyes. Do you want to be a fool to the perishing? Do you want to be a fool in the eyes of God? How you be rich is you let go of this world and you grab a hold of what is truly life.